everyone. It's good to be able to be with you, even though it's uh, through a screen tonight. Um, I've got the shingles, so I'm sorry that I can't be there physically in person. I'm doing okay. Um, I'll survive. Uh, you will, however, have to deal with me looking like a character out of the latest Lord of the Rings uh, TV series tonight, so I'm sorry about that. It was either um, my wife said I could wear an eye patch and be a pirate or be the character out of the Lord of the Rings, and I thought I'd go for the latter, so you'll have to live with me in that regard. Um, we're in a series at the moment on relationships. This is a really exciting series um, because we all have relationships. We're all going to be involved in different relationships in our lives. And so this is a really important thing for us to consider. What is a biblical take on relationships? What does God have to say when it comes to our relationships? Because if we're followers of Jesus, this is important. This matters. And Ash kicked off our series last week. She spoke about relationships that we have with uh, other believers. She spoke about how we should uh, work alongside them, how we should manage our disputes that we have. She reminded us that we're washed, we're sanctified, we're justified in Christ. And because of these things, then our relationships with other believers should be and should look different. And tonight, as we continue our series, we're going to talk about a topic that we don't often talk about. It's a topic that is very interesting to many people. It's a, in fact, the world really at large is obsessed with this topic to some degree. Um, the world actually sees what we're talking about as the solution to many of its relational needs. Tonight, we are talking about sex. That's right. We're talking about sex. Have I got your attention straight from the start? Um, because we are talking about relationships with our bodies. In particular, what does it have to say about sex? We live in a world that says we should seek after pleasure. In fact, our whole culture revolves around this idea of what you could call the pleasure principle. It's basically this. Seek after the things that bring you pleasure, that bring you happiness, that bring you joy and comfort and satisfaction. That's the things that you should go after, you should seek after in this lifetime. Anything that's not pleasure, anything that's painful, avoid that, steer clear of that. Pain is bad, discomfort is bad, difficulty is bad, steer clear of that, go after pleasure. That's the pleasure principle. In fact, our culture would say that in order to be truly free, then what you should do is adopt what you could call an anything goes type lifestyle. And when it comes to living, just do whatever it is that makes you happy. As long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, do whatever makes you happy. Uh, there's an organization that has this as their current slogan right now. I've seen it. I've driven past it a few times. It says, do what feels right for right now. I'd say that's a slogan that's pretty typical of what we hear in society today. You know, whatever feels right in the moment that you're living in, Whatever it is, just do that thing. That's what you should trust, that feeling. Trust that. That will lead to pleasure. That will lead to goodness. And there are a number of different things that lead to pleasure when it comes to our bodies as we focus on our bodies this evening. Let's start with food, for example. Food is something that we, we eat or consume for sustenance, for nourishment. But there's also a pleasure element in food. Food is amazing. Let's face it. God has given us this beautiful um, food that we eat regularly and it brings us a degree of pleasure. We can have amazing food experiences in our lifetime. 
as well as food, there's other things that bring us pleasure like alcohol or drugs or prescription medication. Now, of course, those sorts of things, as well as food, they can get abused and in the process they can lead or have destructive consequences. But when people start out using drugs, for example, or alcohol, it's usually for a pleasure element or to maybe, you know, bring comfort or mask some other thing, which in turn leads to pleasure. And then, of course, one of the biggest things that we consider when it comes to pleasure, when it comes to our bodies, is sex. There is a pleasure element when it comes to sex. This is the way that we have been designed and that is a very strong thing indeed. So it shouldn't surprise us then that when it comes to talking about our physical bodies, that sex is a major contributor to bodily pleasure and the way that we seek after pleasure, physical pleasure, in our lives. And tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look at relationships with our bodies, particular a biblical understanding of sex and how this is important for us at whatever stage we're at in our lives, whether we're single, whether we're dating, whether we're married, um, whatever, it, wherever it is that we're at, we're going to look at what it, what's important about this when it comes to our relationship with our bodies. And so we are going to continue uh, reading from 1 Corinthians. We are still in chapter 6. In fact, this whole series is between chapter 6 and chapter 7 of the book of 1 Corinthians. And um, we're going to really focus in on what Paul has to say to the Corinthian church about our bodies and about sex here. So if you want to grab out your Bible, we're in chapter 6. We're starting from verse 12 and we're going to read through to verse number 20. And I want to encourage you as well, if you've got your physical Bible, bring that along with you when you can. It's really helpful to have that open so you can focus as we go throughout the message. You can come back to that point. You've got it there in front of you. Um, so bring your physical Bible if you can, get that open. If you don't have that, grab your phone or it will be up on the screen for us as well to follow along with. Let's read together. This is Paul speaking. He says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. It's important for us as we read this kind of passage to understand what's going on at the time when Paul is writing this letter. Why does he take the time to devote and speak and focus on sex and sexual immorality? And it tells us straight away, well, this is an important issue that the Corinthian church was dealing with at the time because 
Corinth was actually a city that sought after pleasure. They were pleasure principle pros, I guess you could say. Um, and the biggest way that they were after pleasure was through sex. They were actually a city that was really given over to the worship of sex. Um, at nighttime in the city of Corinth, um, there was a thousand priestesses who lived up in the hills um, and they would come down at night into the streets of Corinth and they would prostitute themselves. So sexual promiscuity, this was highly acceptable. It was highly regarded as part of the culture, as part of everyday life happening in the city of Corinth. It was normal to be sexually loose here. It was normal to engage in sexual practices with a range of different people, but in particular, um, it was normal for them to engage in sexual relations with prostitutes. And so the people saw what they were doing as acceptable, normal behavior to be engaged in. But then Paul, the apostle, comes along and straight out of the gate, he wants to let the people know about this false understanding that they have when it comes to this way of living and this way of treating their bodies. And you know what? I love this about Paul, that he meets the people where they're at when it comes to addressing topics. Before he seeks to launch into um, teaching or explaining something, he meets them where he's at. He addresses the issue at hand. And here, this is what he does off the top of this passage. He says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything's beneficial. I've got the right to do anything, but I won't be mastered by anything. Yeah, the big takeaway here, I think, is that regardless of the freedoms or the so-called perceived freedoms that we actually think that we have when it comes to being able to do anything, not everything that we actually do is going to be beneficial to us. That's what the, uh, the big takeaway is. And then Paul talks about the body, in particular the body's purpose and the body's identity. Let's have a look at those two things. I want to look at those before we then continue on. The purpose and identity. So first of all, when it comes to the body's purpose, in verse 13, Paul says, the body's not meant, however, for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. I think this is an important distinction that he's making here because he clarifies this purpose of our bodies. Our bodies aren't to be used to engage in sexually immoral practices. He's saying they're to be used for the Lord. So in essence, he's saying the purpose of our bodies is not actually for ourselves. It's not about our own self-focus or our own self-satisfaction. In fact, Paul is saying the purpose of our bodies and the way we use our bodies is actually for God, not for ourselves. You know, the fact that Jesus came to earth, he took on human flesh and blood, that shows us the second part of what Paul's spoken about, that the Lord is for the body, just as the body is for the Lord. And as we continue to read, we're going to see a little bit more about this purpose and how Paul explains it. So there's the purpose. Let's look now at identity, verse 14 and 15. He says, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. This is interesting because when we think about our bodies, we are mortal. There's one thing that is absolutely certain in this life aside from taxes, and that is death. 
death has a 100% success rate. Every single one of us will die at some point um, who is living on earth. That is certain. And basically, Paul here is saying that God is the one who's going to raise our bodies. Just as Jesus died and just as he was resurrected, the resurrection of the body in the Lord will happen. And so those of us who have been raised to life in Christ, those of us who believe in him, and have the Holy Spirit, we should also realize that we should live holy, pleasing lives to God in the present because we have been raised up into this new life, both now and into the future. So there is an eternal perspective to keep in mind when it comes to our bodies. But even though we won't have our physical bodies forever, Paul is saying that what we actually do with our bodies now matters. The way we use our bodies in this lifetime matters now and into the future. Basically, a body that's destined for resurrection should not be degraded by practices that are immoral, whether it's sexually immoral practices or, or otherwise in this lifetime. You see, we have a choice. We can, if we choose to disregard this advice, you know, we can say, oh, I want to, I can have sex with whoever I want to. I can indulge in other practices that bring me pleasure, bring me physical, bodily pleasure. But Paul does tell us our bodies are members of Christ himself. And that if we actually choose to be sexually immoral, then what we're doing is we're uniting those members with another person. We're not uniting them with Christ. Paul makes reference here to what is said way back in Genesis chapter 2 at the start of the Bible, where it says that a man should leave his mother and father and shall cleave to his wife and the two will become one flesh. These two individuals united as one. You see, when this happens, there's, there's a new relationship that's formed under the banner of sex. Under God's perfect design, Sex is a really beautiful thing, this beautiful picture of two becoming one, a unity, a togetherness, a bond that is created, a relationship that links two souls together. And this is what happens when sex is involved. And so if you have numerous sexual relationships, there are these ties that are created with each one. And there's a linking together that happens in the two becoming one. And when this happens outside of the way that God has intended, outside of the freedoms and the beauty of marriage, marriage is the container for sex that God has created perfectly and beautifully. When this happens, when these relationships happens outside of marriage, there are soul ties that are created. And those things can have an effect on us and our relationships with others. You know, I've known people um, who've chosen to be promiscuous in their life and these effects that they've had because of their actions, they haven't been positive. In, in many aspects, they've actually been devastating and damaging effects, not just for those people who've been engaged in, in the sexual activity either. Um, the effects extend right out to, to family members, to children, to other people involved, other friendships in, uh, in happening. There is a real cost to choosing to live this way. And it often takes its toll on other relationships that aren't romantic ones. Uh, it's the same thing with pornography as well. 
this is an important thing for us, I think, when it comes to sex to talk about tonight. And I don't say any of this to make us feel guilty, but it is important for us to consider here because never before has it been easier to access pornographic content. You know, even with our social media, sexually suggestive content is just rife. It is everywhere. It is so hard for us to not see things that suggest sex in some way or another in our everyday lives. And pornography has widespread effects. It affects the way that we view others. It affects our relationships with other people, both present and future. It, it affects our own physical bodies as well. You know, so if you're accessing pornography, there is a relational cost that is involved. And like I said before, I don't say this to make us feel guilty tonight. We have a God who loves and forgives and his grace and mercy is there for us if we turn from that and turn towards him and we seek after change and breakthrough in our lives, then we can be trusting in our God to come through. But the bottom line is, the sexual immorality has consequences, and so we need to take those things seriously. So what does this then mean for our relationships with our own bodies? Well, like Paul said, we're either united with God or we're united with others. And he makes this clear when it comes to our bodies as members of Christ, we can't be united with prostitutes or with other people. There's no middle ground. It's either God or others. You can't have one foot on one side and one foot on the other side. And so what should we do about this then? Well, as we continue on, we look in verse 18 and there's a four-word answer that Paul gives to us. It's not an easy thing. But it's the answer. And it says this, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Did you get that? Other sins are outside of our body, but sexual sin is actually internal. It affects our bodies. Sexual sin damages us. It's an act that actually works against our bodies. And so the answer, Paul says, is to flee from sexual immorality, not just to turn away from it, not just to dodge it or to maybe cover it up, not to, you know, not secretly hide things. It's to literally flee, to hightail it away from the scene of the crime, so to speak. You know, if you are a criminal, you hear something on the news, the suspect fled from the scene of the crime. That doesn't mean the suspect casually drove away or casually walked away from the crime. No, that suspect created as much distance as he or she could from that crime scene. And this is the same for us when it comes to sexual immorality. This is the action that you and I need to take to flee from anything that isn't sexually moral, to create distance, create separation, create space, to quickly remove ourselves from the danger. Don't think twice, to not pause, to literally flee. This is an action that I think we need to drill into our minds when it comes to our relationships with our bodies and the things that aren't of God. It's, it's not enough just to think about it, and I know it's a really difficult thing to do as well, to, to, to literally flee. And if, I, if you're in a relationship, then I also want to mention the value of creating really healthy boundaries early on, if possible, in the relationship that you are in. 
You know, if you believe that what we've spoken about so far, that that is the truth, God's word is the truth, um, then talk about boundaries with your partner. Put boundaries in place. Talk about expectations. Um, talk about God's desires for your relationship. What does it say about what he wants for the way that you are to relate with your partner, or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your spouse? Uh, when I was a young adult dating Cherie, uh, we realized pretty quickly that boundaries and expectations were really, really important. Um, at one stage, while we were dating, Sheree was living with one other housemate um, in Sandgate, and we spoke about putting boundaries in place straight away when it came to that particular living situation. Later on, she went to live with a family of four or five people. There was always someone around. That was a little bit different, but when it was just the one housemate, we spoke about not um, me not coming over to her place if her housemate wasn't around. Now, that might sound a little bit crazy in 2022, but for us as a couple at least, this was something that we realized that we needed to put in place physically. That basically, you know, I couldn't be alone with Cherie if there wasn't someone else around in the house and vice versa. She couldn't be at my place if that was the situation as well. Um, that's a pretty clear boundary, I think. But it is an example of fleeing from sexual immorality well in advance in creating that distance. That's the action to flee. And then Paul goes on, verse 19, he says, um, at the, as we get to the end of this passage, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Why should we do this? Why should we flee from sexual immorality? Why is that action so important? Well, it's because our bodies are not our own. They're God's. Um, if you've ever borrowed a car from someone else before, you've probably been a little bit um, cautious and careful with the way that you've treated that car, with the way that you've driven it. Um, I remember borrowing a friend's Nissan's 350Z and I had it for a whole week. Now, to me, that's a pretty flashy car. I don't get to drive a lot of these types of cars around. This is pretty much the most sporty car I've ever driven in my lifetime. And when I first borrowed that car, I knew straight away, this is a nice car for me. I'm going to have to be careful with the way that I drive this car. I'm going to treat it very well. I need to look after it and I need to be extra cautious with it. You know. Um, but as the week went on, I got more and more comfortable with driving this car. And I got the feel of it and, you know, it, as, I, as I got in the car every day, I felt more and more like I had ownership over this thing. This car was more and more comfortable to me as I got into it and this incredible phenomenon happened and that was that I felt the need, the need for speed. Um, and so, look, I enjoyed driving this sports car and, and I enjoyed driving it the way that I thought that it's been designed to be driven with a little bit of speed behind it. But even then, knowing that it wasn't my car, I wanted to look after it. And so, look, I did my best to not break any speed limits. There you go. You've got me on record saying that. Um, I knew that this 350Z, this was my friend's car. It wasn't my car. It was bought at their expense, not my expense. It was on lend to me temporarily, this car. And this is the same picture for our bodies. They've been bought at a cost. Verse 20, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. 
This is what has happened for the Corinthians. This is what has happened for us. Before knowing Jesus, we were slaves to ourselves. We were slaves to our own desires, to our own self-indulgence, to our bodily passions. But then along came a master, Jesus, who had the resources available to set us free, to be able to pay the ransom price, to buy us. It cost him his perfect life, his own life on a cross, the Son of God. You know, this is why we can sing a song like, I'm no longer a slave. And so if Jesus, our master, has paid the price, then we are not our own anymore. We belong to God. Our bodies are his. But not only that, verse 19, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you. This is how we are to view our bodies. They are temples. They are a holy place, a place where the Holy Spirit is present, a place where one where it must not be inhabited by you know, prostitutes or sexual immorality or anything else that is from the body that is not of God. And if you've accepted Jesus, then here's the news. You don't belong to yourself. Your body is a temple of of the Holy Spirit, who is living, who is active within you. And so as a living place, as a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, we actually don't get to decide on our own how we should treat our bodies, how we should live when it comes to our physical bodies. We are guided by the Spirit. We are bought at a price. And Paul then says, therefore, because of all of these things, what should we do in the final verse of this chapter? Honour God with our bodies. So tonight we've seen why we should have a right relationship with our bodies. What does it actually look like then to honour God with our bodies? Well, in the next few weeks, we're going to drill down even more in particular. And so I'm not going to go into real specifics tonight. We're going to look at marriage. We're going to look at dating. We're going to look at singleness. We're going to look at honouring God with our bodies in each of these relational spaces and look at how they all look quite different. We'll focus more on that then. But and I, look, I really want to encourage you to come along. Don't miss out on the next couple of weeks of this series and what we're talking about in this series. But I want to close tonight by saying this, that when we use our bodies the way that God has intended, when we take what he's saying here seriously, when we resist that pleasure principle when it comes to our physicality, when we flee from anything that is sexually immoral, when we do these things, God is honoured. And you know what? That is a great thing. But not only is God honoured, he is glorified, he is lifted up, he is placed in his rightful place. He's lifted higher than other things, than other people. His priority is placed higher in your life than other people. He takes his rightful place as creator of the universe and that is where he should be. God is good. God is overall. But not only is God honoured when we do this, other people are honoured too. People are respected both physically and otherwise in our relationships. People aren't abused. They're honoured. Our relationships are ordered then. They're not disordered. 
Our relationships operate as God has intended them by his perfect design, not by our own fleshly desires, but by the way that he has intended, the perfect and the best way for our relationships. And the other great thing is, and this is the important thing to think about, is that when we do honour God with our bodies, other people around us take notice. You want to talk about being a witness in the world? Well, honouring God with our bodies is one of the more obvious ways that we can show other people that there's something different about the way that we live when it comes to our relationships. In a world where friends encourage their friends to just, you know, hook up with whoever you want to, whenever you want to, in a world where you can continually swipe right until you find someone that maybe you think you like, that you can enter into some sort of relationship with it, In a world where you're encouraged to trust your feelings, follow your heart, follow your own desires. In a world where the global divorce rate is 48%, meaning one in two marriages will end in divorce. In a world where living together before marriage has gone from being uh, about 17% in the 1970s up to 80% of couples living together in 2022. When we honour God with our bodies, People see it. People pay attention. They might not necessarily talk about it, but they see it. And so our relationships are on display for others to see. And tonight I think it's important for us to acknowledge, each one of us, that we don't have it all together when it comes to our bodies, that we haven't been perfect when it comes to our relationships with our bodies, that we might have caused damage to others cause damage to ourselves. One thing's for sure, when it comes to our relationships with our bodies, we all need God. And the great news is that he has paid the price for us, for our bodies. He died to take our sin, to take our shame, to take our regret, the mistakes we've made, to take our failures. He died to take all of that, past, present and future. And it says that, you know, when we confess our sins, that he is, God is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sins and do what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. His forgiveness is available for each one of us to receive tonight. And so as we close, we're going to have a time of worship. We're going to sing this song, I Surrender. And during this time, I think it would be great for us Um, to have a bit of a response time. If you are comfortable, I want to invite you to respond. Um, As a sign of committing our bodies to God, I think it would be actually great for us to use our bodies in action as a symbol of that. And so I'm going to pray in a moment, then we're going to sing this song. And um, I invite you just to remain seated where you are. And as we sing this song, Um, If you're comfortable, as a sign of of committing your body to God, um, I want to invite you to just where you are to go from sitting to kneel. So kneel before God, just even for a moment, for however long you would like to. And by kneeling, you're saying, God, I want to honour you with my body. Um, I want to commit it to you. It's not my own. It's been bought at the price. And so I want to honour it with you. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. I want to commit my body back to you. Um, It's a place where you, the Holy Spirit, 
can take up residence in all areas of my physical body. And then after kneeling and spending a little bit of time kneeling, um, however short or however long, I want to invite you then to, to stand to your feet as we sing this song. And I really love the bridge of this song. It says, um, Lord, have your way in me. And so as we sing that, reflect on this idea of committing our physical bodies and our relationships that we have with our bodies over to God. Lord, have your way in me. Okay, hopefully that all makes sense. But um, as we do this, let's, let's um, commit our bodies back to Christ and let's pray now together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. This is important. Our relationships with our bodies matter, both in this lifetime and into the future. We thank you that you paid the price for us that you purchased us and that you call us to honour you with our bodies that are not our own. We thank you that as we do this, Lord, that there is an order to the way that you have created our relationships with our bodies. And so help us now, God, to remember these things. Lord, for anyone here who maybe has a sense of inadequacy when it comes to uh, their bodies, Lord Jesus, I want to pray right now for them. Holy Spirit, show them their worth, that they have been bought at a price. Lord, that they are worthy of you dying on the cross for them. Lord, for anyone who maybe has a sense of guilt or shame, Lord, thank you that your forgiveness is available for us. May we dwell and sit in that place of receiving your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. And it's because of your action in giving your body over, Lord, that we are able to do this. This is a privilege for us, God. We're not worthy of it, but God, we can turn to you. And we thank you that when we step into the truth of who we are physically and spiritually, that you answer, Lord. And so have your way in us, Lord, as we sing this song now, Lord, have your way in me. May there be a commitment as we move forward in our lives to honour you with our bodies, Lord. And as we do so, would others see and would our relationships be in a right order with you? In Jesus' name, amen.